Hello and welcome back to the Level Edit Podcast. Today we're talking about simulators, um, all things simulations. Today I am joined by our lovely co-hosts. Hey, I'm Nida. I do all things games, UX and a bit of business, but mainly player psychology. Hi, I'm Dan. I run the one-man studio Maybe Later Games and I'm currently working on a narrative fiction game called Anachronist at the moment. And as always, I am Glenn Taylor. I am a software developer by day and a Maybe Games developer at night. So let's just jump right into it. What makes a simulator a simulator? The way I defined this was the gamification of the mundane. I thought that was like a nice way to put it all together because you're still playing a game. It's no different to any other games, really, but the stuff that you're doing or asked to do is <laughs> mundane. I don't even want to say it's not very interesting. You know, any any task can be interesting, and you know, you can gamify any task at all as well. This is why we see so many like job simulators. But I think it's less about focusing on huge epic moments like you know fighting a dragon or leading an army of troops you know to fight in a volcano or something crazy like that it's more about you know tying your shoelaces i'm sure someone would play a game where you actually have to physically tie your shoelaces <laughs> that's like one of the mechanics you know you can sort of gamify anything and yeah it's the the mundane gamification of the mundane that's kind of how i would define it that's an interesting point because then it makes me think about like fitness apps like how they're gamified but i wouldn't consider them a whole simulation thing right that's more of a tracking thing i don't know i think we were having this conversation before we even started was like how do you define a simulation game because you know is it a genre on its own or is it more like a design ethos a philosophy or a combination of different genres because you can get adventure simulator games or walking simulator games um but i think it's more across a spectrum type of thing um so i was listening to a gdc talk by a game designer called me too um and she was saying it's more of a spectrum where you go from like autonomous types of behavior so what you have in the sims uh with an element of you know, surprise and discovery and stuff like that, where the agents or the little characters have their own personalities and emotions and they're unpredictable and you learn from them. And then the spectrum can go from that all the way to, like, branching narratives, you know, where you have deeper stories and each empty seed is a lot of um, emotion and backstory and stuff like that, but it's more predictable in the types of gameplay. You know, like The Walking Dead, for example. Um, so that made me think about how, like, it's really hard to put simulator games in a box, right? Um, because you could technically say any game's a simulator game, especially when you've got a lot of like um, player agency these days, or at least players can kind of change the game to how they wish, right? Because um, you get games with like assist mode, so you could technically change a game from one genre to another if you put on all settings on assist mode. Um, so you could essentially turn it into a simulator game from like a, a heavy action-based game. I don't know, that's been on my mind a lot recently though. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really hard to bend down, especially because if you go for the more technical side of things, where you're either looking at like management games or kind of like some kind of science-based simulation, um, you're looking at having a user be able to tweak 
kind of the inputs and environment um, of a virtual world and for them to observe what happens and adjust their kind of actions accordingly. So that would be like more management games or there's even games where you just play around with bits of sand that do different things. I remember that being a very popular game back in the day. But then you also get games like uh, Viscera Cleanup Detail, where you're a kind of space janitor cleaning up uh, the gory mess after somebody's rampaged through a space station filled with demons. You're cleaning up lots of body parts and everything like that. And there's not really as many kind of inputs to tweak there. It's more your kind of taking things in the world and pushing them into a box, um, which is kind of how I see FPS games as well. You're kind of taking all the alive things in the world and putting them in the dead box after you've uh, had your way with them because they don't really have as much kind of changing inputs or changing outputs. So it, it, it's kind of this weird state where it has to encompass both things which are kind of like observable simulation games where you're just observing a world and trying to interact with it in some capacity but you don't really have full control over the world. And a world like this or a cleanup detail where you're just giving a state of the world and you just modify it until it's exactly as you want it because you have kind of complete control over the interactions in the world. Yeah, I think, you know, that comes down then to, like, what feedback systems you have then, right? Because does that mean that a simulation game is more about, you know, you put a certain input and you get feedback in the form of something changing? Um, but isn't that like many other games as well? Um, I think there is a distinctness in the form of, like, with simulators based on real-life stuff is, you know, you get rules from the real world and then you put it in a game. Um, and then that's kind of the logic, I guess you can say, you live by when you're playing the game. And um, whether that be, you know, certain tasks that a farmer does or um, certain jobs that you do, I think there's some real life information that you take and then can use that to inform your gameplay, maybe. Exactly. I mean, this is what I've seen about the dragons, the stuff that you're doing, it's not sort of fantasy, it's not imaginary, you're not blowing someone's head off with a gun, it's more about the things that you would do every day, even if it's not you, it's a, it's a task that someone's doing every day, that's kind of, like I said, it's not really action-based, it's not epic, it's just a sort of everyday thing, that like you said, there's going to be farmers out there who have to go through whatever farming tasks they have each day. Um, so in, in a sense, it can also replicate like the mundane jobs, well, not <laughs> not to say that you know farming is a mundane job and that's the only mundane job, but like you know everyday jobs that are mundane, you know accounting can also be considered mundane. Anything can be mundane. Coding is mundane. You know when you when you have something that is an everyday occurrence, it's obviously going to be mundane. But people are enjoying these tasks, um, which is very interesting. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that's sort of a good indicator of. Um, what simulators, you know, the category that uh, that simulators tend to belong to are sort of pertaining more to reality than fantasy. Yeah, it's kind of taking the idea of kind of a central activity or environment or interaction of some kind and building the game around that rather than having an entire world and then trying to fit mechanics into this world. It's saying we are, we are doing colony management we're doing simulation of what it's like to be this weird physics-based goat it's it has a very f focused core concept 
um, whether or not it's a kind of fantasy job or a real job or a, a environment that you're just tweaking and things like that. Yeah, in terms of those genres, I know you mentioned management, sort of management simulators kind of all fit into the same sort of box uh, where you're sort of trying to manage an economy and, and sort of min-max the efficiency of a certain company. Um, and then you've also got the jobs where you're playing a very specific role. Um, and then you, you mentioned Goat Simulator. And I tried to write down a ton of games that were simulation-based. And I was like, you're not really doing a job as the Goat Simulator. And you're definitely not managing an economy. So I feel like there's this sort of miscellaneous bunch of games that these are the ones that tend to have simulators tagged onto the end as well. And they are... They're kind of like novelty comedy games or like little parodies. There's also Surgeon Simulator. I think that's what it's called, where you have to, you know, pull organs out of a person and it tends to be really, really hard and stuff goes very, very wrong. Um, but again, I wouldn't... I mean, I guess that kind of belongs to the job category, but I think it has some crossover into the comedy side of things because you're not actually realistically performing these surgeries because if you did you wouldn't be you know operating for very long <laughs> um so i feel yeah. like some also belong to this like comedy category um i don't know i think uh, i think maybe you're you're onto something where it's kind of especially goat simulator it's not really a simulator it's more of a sandbox game because it doesn't really have any core concept um I know that you play as a goat, but I wouldn't necessarily define that as being defining of the game. Um, you could replace the goat with like perhaps any other animal and you'd still have the same effect. Um, so maybe it is true that those games are more of a sandbox than an actual simulator. Yeah, and it's, you know, where do, do, where do we draw the line between sandbox and simulation? Are all simulations sandbox-based? Are all sandbox games simulations or, you know, I know we talk about these specific examples, but I don't know. It feels like we're talking about a really miscellaneous category of games here that don't really have very well-defined sort of tags or genres. So they all just get whacked into the simulation pile, but they're, they're really different, I think. Yeah, because it makes me think about like management games, right? Where it's like there's a systematic element to it, where it's you've got a controlled clear routine that you need to go through every day of gameplay you know like the 15 minute loop or whatever you have um so that's more structured compared to something like goat simulator where you just do stuff and you get a response yeah so i, I don't know it's, it's very multi-layered i think or you can define as a simulator it's a very open-ended one um but that's kind of the fun of it i think is it it doesn't have a set idea or notion of what it is it just has some common elements that you can see across them that then makes the category of what a simulator is yeah and i guess it's kind of like this this core concept to the idea of the game that you can't remove once it's placed in although because obviously like like goat simulator you could remove the goat and you'll still have the same game whereas like if you had harvest moon you couldn't remove the farming and still have the same game um just to kind of nail it down a bit more, does anyone have any examples of simulator games that do some interesting things that help kind of uh, explore their game design a bit nicer? Like, um, I know that Eurotruck Simulator has quite a large cult following, and it's kind of interesting to see these games that, I guess, 
people would like dismiss just off the bat sometimes, um, gaining so much traction and people finding so much enjoyment out of them. Yeah, I think Euro Truck Simulator is like a huge player. The Sims, obviously, is kind of genre-defining The Sims. Um, there's also um, the likes of City Skylines, the city management sim. Um, that's you know, there's been a lot of games that are city management. So in the Sim City, I think it was. Um, but I think City Skylines has really taken off with that as well. So um, yeah, those are the kind of ones that I would bring up, and they sort of cover a variety of genres. I think the one that came into my head first was Stardew Valley, just because I've been playing it a lot in the past couple of months. Um, but for me, like I was saying earlier, it has that really nice routine element to it, you know, where you've got a set task or set set of tasks that you need to do every day, and the game loops are kind of clearly defined. You have your short-term goals, you know, of I need to do certain things within a day, and then you've got your long-term goals where you see your farm grow over time. Um, and it's really fun because, in a way, you kind of learn a little bit about farming. Not exactly, because, of course, the process isn't exactly the same. Um, but it's a really nice environment where, you know, you have that sense of, I guess, control of over a situation. Um, and, like, the element of, like, possibility and opportunity of what you could explore. So it's really fulfilling to play in that way. You know, you're like, I can grow so many things today and there's no repercussions if I go wrong. I think that's a really nice thing about simulator games is you don't get like a harsh punishment that you would compared to other games. Um, in simulators, even if you do get like a punishment or I don't know, like a negative per se, it's not really going to impact your gameplay largely. It's, it's It might just be a small thing, but you can fix that pretty easily. Um, and that makes it more of a calming or more like yeah calming experience I guess where you don't have the anxiety about what happens if you do something wrong yeah I guess the goals are more orientated towards um, optimization and um, improving tasks rather than necessarily like hey you've reached the end of the level and here's your score and things like that yeah I think of it more as like efficiency um, so it's not about, you know, you fail, you lose, restart the level, like you get, your character's dead, there's no like permadeath or anything, there's not even death in a lot of scenarios, you know, I'm sure in Eurotrick Simulator, if you were in a truck, I'm sure it'd be pretty easy to die if you smashed head first into something, but um, I'm sure, I'm well, I haven't actually played it, so, you know, don't hold me to it, but I imagine there's no death, and if there is death, I don't imagine it's that punishing, because like you said, it's not what the game is going for. It's going for that sort of relaxing setting. I was looking at the philosophy, the design philosophy of cozy games, because um, it kind of ties into a game that I was working on recently. And that is sort of one of the defining principles of a cozy game. There's, there's low risk, um, but high reward. So you get you can get a lot out of the gameplay, but it's not punishing really in any way. Um, you're allowed to go at your own pace. Um, and, you know, I think simulated games are, like, slower. Kind of fits into, like, slow theory as well, where it's not, you know, you're not racing around a track at 100 miles an hour. It's more you're there for the journey, not just the reward, because the journey is kind of most of the fun of the game. Um, and I think 
you know, if we look at farming sims, for example, they're not, you know, they don't work overnight. I can't think of any examples right now, but I'm sure there's some games where you kind of are expected to be idle for certain amounts of the game. If we look at like Animal Crossing, I believe that they, um, I think the game still runs while you're not there. Um, and it doesn't punish you for overplaying, but sometimes you might need to wait for a few days for some sort of like maybe fruits to grow back onto the trees or uh, for some more insects to appear if you kind of caught them all. So I think simulators in general kind of rewards like slower gameplay. Um, and it is, yeah, it's like a, a low risk environment. It's kind of like what cozy games are supposed yeah. to be. I think like an example of that journey is like the whole discoverability element that a lot of simulators have where it's like you learn or find new things over time. Um, you know, you might see some grinding in these types of games just to like get like a certain number of crops, for example. But I think the discovery element comes about as it would in real life to some degree where you learn things over time. Uh, interesting one because then it, makes you think about you know how realistic do you then have to make the game um of course like with goat simulator you can't really make a goal in real life do those things but like it made me think about like with virtual reality right where it's like you're simulating a certain environment um and if that environment doesn't follow certain rules that we expect in real life you know that can cause like sickness and stuff for example um i was listening to a gdc talk by the people at alchemy labs who made job simulator. Early in the design process, when a player was user testing the game, they smashed some plates on the floor, but there wasn't really a response, uh, and the player found it pretty jarring. It didn't simulate real life responses where the, you know, the plate would make a certain noise, or you would kind of jump back and stuff like that. So I think that's an interesting area to explore as well, is like how real do you then have to be if you are creating a real life environment and simulation. I don't know if this is your type of thing, Glenn, because you've done VR stuff. Yeah, there's a whole kind of big thing about user expectancy, and it was actually one of the benefits I was going to mention of this kind of simulation-style genre, is it becomes very focused on, like Dan said, where you're, you're focusing on the journey. So you tend to look more at kind of user inputs and what people expect to happen when they do different things. Um, sometimes people even kind of find stuff in the game that you never expected just because that's kind of the nature of when you have like a large rule set um, interactions with different rules can become very um, unexpected and kind of almost procedural in a way um, so I thought some of the benefits of these types of games are they do tend to have a bit more focus on user testing and trying to figure out like how people want to interact with the environment, like what kind of rules and uh, interesting new ideas would make this uh, simulation, especially with like management type games. I know that um, there's a game called RimWorld that I really like. That's kind of like a simulation of what it would be like to run a colony on a crash-landed planet. And a lot of the development of that game has been like um, focused on quality of life and implementing new features but in such a way that it actually um, improves the either the experience of the simulation or allows people to make their own customized scenarios because a lot of the fun I think in simulations is people customizing it in order to 
follow through on like an idea that they have in their head. Um, it, it almost offers this a bit more freedom for the player to um, act upon this idea of what the, the game is in their head rather than the game telling them like this is all you can do. Um, I know RimWorld has a bunch of starts where like you start in an ice tundra and in the ice tundra like uh, like food is frozen so it means you don't have to build any refrigerators but also everyone freezes to death, uh, food's really scarce, wood's really scarce and there's not really any, especially when this thing came out, there wasn't any really emphasis put on like we expect you to survive in this place, it was more just something for people to mess around with. Um, and a lot of people just found these really weird ways of surviving, like murdering every uh, passerby that came through and eating their corpse, or uh, there'd be like thermal vents, so people just like build these houses around these thermal vents. And all these kind of weird ways of surviving in like a really inhospitable environment. Um, so I think some of the strengths are just simulation games have a lot of room for people to play their own way without running the further giving them a lot of like pressure to go in one direction or another. There's a lot of customization. I think it's a really valid point that you made about customization, specifically mods. Um, I mean, some of the really good examples of you know popular simulators have had insanely powerful mod integration. You mentioned Euro Truck Simulator. I, I tried to have a look at why. <laughs> Why it was popular? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the genre myself. Um, and uh, one of the people who um, who was really into Euro Truck Simulator said that the mods that people make are, you know, insane. He said he had thirty to fifty mods installed, and that he played the game for six hundred hours. I could, I could not believe it. But um, you know, different strokes for different folks, and. I think like if you have mod integration, it can do so much for your game. And it's, I think it's a really interesting point because um, my brother is a huge fan of City Skylines. He's always been a fan of the city management genre and City Skylines mod integration is like, it's insane as well. Like, I think it's all integrated on the Steam Workshop. It's super easy to just download and install mods. And because everyone's racing on them, they're really well curated. So um, yeah, I think, that's probably a lesson that you know other games could take from simulations. You, if you provide the majority of the groundwork, and then you build a platform that other people can you know build upon, and it's not too difficult to make mods, then you know you're opening yourself up to you know you can have an entirely different genre of game within your game just from a mod, which is absolutely insane. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of mileage in that. If I compare it to the likes of Darkest Dungeon, I know that the modding community has an absolute nightmare making stuff in Darkest Dungeon. I don't think it's actually physically possible to import custom sounds yourself, which sounds like a tiny thing, but, you know, like, for the, for the fact that it's actually physically impossible, I think it was confirmed to be impossible to add, you know, something as simple as a sound effect to a mod. It just, um, you know... It takes a lot away from the quality of it. So I think if you have, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't even have to be a game of the genre, but if you have something that could be benefited from mods, then definitely work on, like, um, making them easy for people to make so that, you know, your game can thrive from it. And I think with a lot of simulations, just asking, like, what if can be quite important. And I think that does come back to user testing where you just have to see, like, 
how people interact with this thing. And I, I think that that's probably one of the distinctions as well is if you have a game, a traditional game of levels, there's always going to be a path that people follow. But with simulation games, um, especially, like it's very hard to tell um, someone's path. Just if you're throwing them out into this environment and there's so many different factors or inputs, or there's so many different things that they can control. Um, and sometimes just you start to realize like why, you know, if, if you have an entire world map that you've only allowed people to play on grasslands and people are just like, well, what if we played on Tundra or what if we played on... Um, I know like games like Subnautica, people have gone like, what if I make a base in like the deepest, darkest part of the <laughs> map and uh, there's there's nothing there. It's just people wanted to do it, so... Yeah, I think, I think ga games like these simulation ones are a really great environment to explore new ideas and new ways you can interact with a, you know, dynamic environment. Um, and it's really good for, like, it's good for helping players be in an environment where they have a lot of agency, you know, where they can try out new ideas and things like that. Um, it makes me think about a piece I was reading earlier by Jamie Madigan, who's a psychologist and he specializes in video games. Um, and he's talking about motivation theory, which technically you should be looking at motivation theory when you are designing any game you make. But I think simulation games are a great example where they apply that theory really well to the game design. Um, so he was talking about for like, um, you know, games where you are doing a certain job. Um, and you mentioned the self-determination theory, which I mentioned in, I think, the first episode of recording this podcast, um, which is essentially, you know, we for our intrinsic motivation, which is our internal motivation, there's three things that we look for. You know, is there a sense of autonomy? Uh, is, there an, is there an element of relatedness? Um, and is there a feeling of competence? Um, and I think a simulation game allows you to have all those things where you have your own agency, you know, you have your own goals that you're going to meet and you get some great feedback um, and feeling like you can interact with the environment. Um, so I think as from a case study perspective, there's a benefit of simulation games where you can take a lot out of them, even if the player is doing very few activities because through a few button clicks, they are fulfilling more, more or less more, more or less many of their key drivers and motivational needs. Yeah, I think autonomy in particular is like a huge determining factor of the popularity of these sorts of games because I looked, you know, I looked in more detail about what the actual mechanics of these games are. Uh, say, for example, Farming Simulator. You know, being a farmer is bloody hard. <laughs> you have to be up at the crack of dawn, you know. Like, you know, there, there could be the randomest thing. Like one of your animals could be attacked in the night by a wild animal and then you've got to deal with like a bloodied lamb at dawn and you were tired and you know it's probably horrible and I couldn't even imagine like having to deal with that and then you've got to think about like the financial stress of you know if this lamb doesn't grow up then oh god like I have to pay for my rent blah blah blah, blah. there's just so much stress and stuff that's out of your control in actual real life and you know some of it is not very nice i'm sure you've got a shovel poo i'm sure it's not very pleasant you know but these are like the real life activities and even if you're told you have to go you know clear out the muck uh in a game you probably left click to clear out the muck 
and it's like oh okay that's great whereas if you're doing this for several hours you know you're probably in a lot of physical pain you're exhausted so i really think that a lot of these simulators um the success that they enjoy is mainly due to stripping out all of the, the negative experiences associated with that actual task or that job. Um, and then uh, it's kind of, you know, you make an idealized, convenient version of that job. So you're not actually doing that job. You're doing that job if you're looking through, you know, rose-tinted glasses. Um, and I, th I think that is definitely like a huge part of the popularity of these games you should really be taking out the the negative sides of things um i don't know yeah it makes because i was actually going to ask like you know a lot of people that play these games at least when i was reading an article about the euro truck simulator and um, one of the developers was like yeah a lot of people wh whose job this is actually love playing this game and they make up a big part of our demographic um, alongside other people, but they're one of the biggest. So maybe it could be that thing of like, you know, I get to do my job, but it's in a more fun environment, less stressful. I don't have to worry about cleanup as much and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I found a statistic as well for f farming simulator. And it says 33% of their player base said, I'm a farmer, but it's fun to play with friends on my days off. So yeah, you're definitely right. Like the people whose job this actually is are a huge sort of market for these types of games which is bizarre to me <laughs> bizarre. yeah yeah I, mean, I don't necessarily think that it's confined to simulation games i think even just shooter games like they strip out a bunch of stuff and you start to see like more of the stuff coming in even with vr games like some vr shooters you'll see people like fumbling their equipment dropping their guns accidentally pulling the pins on grenades <laughs> there's a lot of like even just minor things that you get to skip over just for convenience especially I mentioned, like animal husbandry and even human births or horror like horrifying to some degree mm. i've seen that clip of someone trying to reload in vr for about five <laughs> minutes <laughs> can't get the magazine and the gun um yeah so that is a good point i didn't think about that you know a lot of games do take out the boring crap that's kind of what games do but um i guess those sort of belong to the genre uh, like we know what to expect from a shooter you don't have to you just have to reload but it's not anything you just press a button you don't have to physically do anything really um i feel like all of that's kind of been not put into a trope but it's kind of streamlined and people know what to expect from a mainstream game that's using those mechanics whereas a lot of the novelty of these simulator games is they're making us do things that um haven't previously been done before to a certain extent no, maybe that's not right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, and I think it is good to mention the fact that like people actually have these jobs. There's a connection there with the player that hasn't really been seen in like a game where you shoot demons, kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I was reading a paper earlier on like uh, how simulation games could potentially be a place for self-expression. So the researcher wanted to see, you know, if, if playing The Sims 2, you play it in a way that expresses who you are. So you play as a character who's basically you, and you respond to the environment in a certain way. Um, he did this study on, like, 30 people in the U.S. who are, like, students. So it's a really small sample size. Um, so he, you know, he did a test for, like, personality theory and then told them to go play The Sims 2. 
Um, and interestingly, he found like people who are like generally quite neurotic and anxious wouldn't pay the, their bills on time in the game, or those people who are like really extroverted and open to new experiences would spend lots of money in the game um, because they could uh, and explore different ideas, um, which I thought was really interesting. But he did end it with the question of you know are they doing this because they're expressing themselves also because it's due to the game design where it's encouraging you to do these different activities um but for me that was just an interesting theory to explore was like maybe these simulation games allow you to do certain things that you want to do but can't in real life or something like that i could definitely relate to that i played tons of the sims particularly the sims 2 as a teenager um <laughs> I have a confession. I think one of the things that sort of drew me to the game so much was because as a teenager, I realized that I was gay. And um, it was kind of an outlet to be gay without having any of the negative consequences with it. And, you know, there were some guys that I had crushes on and they, they may have, you know, been married to me in the game. <laughs> but I think... It was quite healthy to be able to explore that in a simulated environment and sort of, you know, get to be yourself um, without having any of sort of those drawbacks. So I could definitely relate to that, even on a personal level. I remember reading more about The Sims. Um, apparently they'd taken children who, um, I think they'd been abused as children or Maybe these were children that were in like the foster care system and they used to sit them down in pairs and just watch them play, basically. And um, <clears throat> I can't remember exactly what the results of the studies were. This was done like years ago. But I think they were sort of seeing what the children thought of as normal. Like, you know, daddy's supposed to slap mummy now. And it's like, wow, that's like really... You know, this is really deep stuff. And I think they were using it as kind of like sort of therapy um, and sort of like recognising, you know, issues that the child has. But because they saw that as normal and you're just kind of, you know, replicating what you think of as normal, um, they, yeah, I mean, maybe simulations, you know, can serve a purpose even beyond just entertainment and gaming to a certain extent. Um yeah, I mean, I I guess a big problem I have is the the game as it is, although from an outside perspective we see it as like this static thing, in reality the game's happening in the person's mind. So um, maybe they've already decided to act in a certain way before they've started the game. There's also a case of um, the more they play the game, the more their the version of the game in their mind changes. So you might find somebody who plays super conservatively at the beginning because they don't know the rules will then be take a lot more risks later on because they're aware of the consequences of actions and things like that. You know, it's almost like that they've they've stepped into this brand new world, and I think some people who might be super risk taking in real life will be very cautious when it comes to like new things, or so you'll probably see their personality of playing the game change is their model of what the game is and their mind changes yeah but that does make me think like okay if, if your simulation is based on a model of real life you know you are kind of then blurring the lines i'm not saying like 
you know, if you be violent in the game, you'll be violent in real life, or vice versa. But I do think there's a question about ethics and stuff like that, because, you know, one of the ways we do learn about behavior and what's okay is through, like, mental modeling and observational learning. So if, and so there's an ethics part where it's like, okay, is this game telling me it's okay to do a certain activity that we wouldn't feel comfortable with in real life, like hitting people? Um, and then what limits is the game in this simulated environment allowing me to do these certain things? You know, is it going to let me do these things without repercussions um, or things like that? Like The Sims is really interesting because it has the character death, so it makes it a bit more laid back and a bit more fun when people die or whatever in funny ways. Whereas in real life, if people die, it's not as funny. Um, and it's very different, especially when you are, as the player character or you know, imposing these actions, the consequences are very different. Yeah, I can see that, you know, they do sort of lighten the mood with it. The Grim Reaper is quite a funny character. I think in The Sims 2, he sticks around to play rock, paper, scissors with the people who are still alive. So it is sort of taken in a light-hearted way. But I think, in a way, it can be very sad. I mean, as someone who played The Sims a lot, when your Sim died, it was like, oh, <laughs> I used to play with a very long um, lifespan because you could edit how long your sims lived for. So it would probably be, you know, if you'd seen your sim grow from like a baby up to, you know, an elder, they I think they've been alive for like 120 days or something, sim days, which is quite a lot of time investment. So for that character to then die, obviously, you know, it depends sort of how invested you are in the game and, you know, but um, I, I do think... In a sense, it could even teach you some lessons about, you know, death and, you know, moving on. Not that I'm saying this is the way to yeah. go over grieving, but it, it's kind of a lesson, particularly from, like, a younger player's mm. mind. It's kind of like I'm losing a pet. Mm. Not, not as, you know, sure, losing a pet is more horrific, but it's not as horrible as sort of losing a person, typically. Yeah, I remember when I first played Sims 4 with Kane. Um, my character accidentally ended up drowning somehow. We didn't realize what was happening. Yeah. Um, and the first thing he did was like, let's find a way to bring your character back to life. So he stopped the game and then started trawling the internet. It's because um, it wasn't even like the game. It wasn't even our decisions. Like we, we had told this character to go home and for some reason they were not responding to the commands at all. And like that is one of the problems I have with the sins is I felt like as they've gone on, like the characters have... Like, sometimes, like, when you order them to do something, it's more of, like, a hint of what you are you want them to do. Like, they don't necessarily need to respond to that. And maybe that was the intention, but for me, it just feels like the game is very unresponsive. Or it could mean that the NPCs are now more people rather than just things you drag around and interact with. Like, they have their own personalities and ideas. There is an autonomy slider within the terms, actually. And mm, you can choose yeah. if you're... You can set it so that your sim does nothing ever unless you tell it to, which is really hard to manage because then it doesn't even, like, go to the toilet. And then you can set it to, like, basically choose whatever it wants to do all the time. And you can always override those actions. Um, any actions that it cues itself will be overwritten by you uh, if you manually tell it. You want you want you don't do that. Cancel your next activity. You're doing what I tell you instead. Um, otherwise, you can, like, cue a series of your own activities um, unless it's major, like, I'm going to pee myself right now. That's not one that sort of gets overridden. On, I mean, you know. it's fine until, like, 
the autonomy doesn't line up with what you expect the behavior of a person to be in that regard. So like our, our instance was the person was like super tired. They were literally about to fall asleep. So we told them to go back home and sleep. Um, and they decided to go for a swim in the pool. And then whilst we were, they were swimming in the pool, we were like, no, you're really tired. You're going to fall asleep in a second. Go home and sleep. And they decided they were going to keep swimming in the pool. And obviously in the end, they fell asleep in the pool. And like that doesn't line up with any expectations of the intended behavior that you have in your mind, especially when you're the commands you're giving them should necessarily line up with what the character desires at that point. Um, yeah, I think that does raise a design question, like, you know, each interaction that you have with in any simulation game with an NPC or just the NPCs with each other, like, is the interaction going to have some meaningful impact or change with the different actions? Yeah, and, like, social interactions as well. I'm, honestly, I'm really surprised that they even went forward and made The Sims because when they originally made it, I think it was Will Wright. He made it as a uh, like an architecture. It was more building focused. You made a house, you could um, furnish it and whatnot. And then he had people sit down and play it, and they were like, "Oh wow, I made my house. Where's my person? Where? How do I play?" And it's like, "Oh well, that's you, know, you can't. That's it." So they actually, when this was before the Sims one was released, but they actually had that feedback during user testing, and um, they decided to, you know, go whole hog and make it so that you could have characters with needs, etc. But the problem with that trying to realistically emulate social interactions like gaming just does not have it <laughs> it's just not there at the minute we do not have the technology to make something like you know to make something like actually realistic as kind of you know as realistic as you know we depict life as this as it is in the sims it's you know incredibly difficult i would say okay um it makes me wonder if something like animal crossing is a bit better um, I think I would class Animal Crossing as being like a simulator-based game. It's mostly social simulation. Um, but because it's an elephant, it doesn't seem as weird when they give you a trash can as a bin. Like, they give you a trash can as a present. You're just like, oh, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Elephant. Whereas, you know, if it's Eddie next door and he's given you a, you know, a massive metal bin for your birthday, you're like, why would you do <laughs> Why would you do that? I don't know. It makes me wonder if the abstraction of sort of social interactions makes them, yeah, it kind of makes more of a disconnect in your brain from, oh, this is reality. This should be like real life. Oh, this isn't like real life. This game is weird. Or, you know, it's not sort of matching my expectations. Whereas when you have something that's cartoony and it's not really that rooted in reality, you can get away with having social interactions that don't actually mimic reality, but they're still charming. They still do the same purpose, really. You might say they fulfill them better because the player expectation almost isn't as high of them. No, I agree. It's kind of like the whole, if you see a human run at you with a bat whilst you've got a gun, it feels a bit weird, whereas if a zombie runs at you, you're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you need to create like a... Well, you need to avoid that mismatch with regards to believability um, and player expectations and what they know from real life, especially if you are creating uh, a model from real life. Um, a while back, I was watching a video essay on YouTube by Nerdwriter, 
I don't know if you know him. He does like he. I think it's a he. They. Let me just see they to be clear. Um, they do like analysis and breakdown of film and TV. Um, and they had a video on dialogue in film. Um, like if it simulated what actual real life conversation was like. You know where we actually speak over each other, or where there's a lot of pauses, where there's a lot of ums, whereas in films it's very much um. You know, one person speaks, stop, then the next person speaks. Unless there's, like, angry yelling and stuff. So that, to me, was a really interesting example of how you just don't see it, it in just games. You see it in film as well, like, in both areas. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. But then I would probably argue that realism isn't necessarily as important, you know. I If I'm watching a film, I'm not expecting to watch them go to the toilet unless... <laughs> There's something actually really critical that happens there. I'm sure they went for a wee, but we didn't have to know about it or see it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think of it as, like, cutting out the rubbish, basically, which we kind of already talked about. Yeah, I guess I mean it more in the sense of, like, it's one of the issues you have with simulation games where it's, like, it's very easy to interact with different objects. But from interacting on a behavioural perspective and a dialogue perspective, it's much harder to simulate. I suppose so. It's kind of like you drink, you have a drink and then it satisfies your hunger bar and it's like, well, it's not really how drinking works. You understand it. Yeah, because then that's that thing of like, you know, how much realism do you want and what levels of interaction you want? Because you could have a game where you're like interacting a lot as you do in The Sims, but then you have other games where you don't interact as much directly like, for example, Football Manager, where it's just a lot of like reading emails or, you know, looking through your team, but you're not actually playing the football match because you're the manager, you're simulating the different football matches. So there's a level of detachment there compared to The Sims where you're very hands-on and interactive in the worlds. Yeah, I guess that kind of comes back to, like, a management-based game as opposed to, well, not that I would classify The Sims as a job, but it's kind of more focused in on one person's life. Yeah, and I think... That's the thing you've got to consider when you're designing a game in general is like, you know, is the simulation like your primary goal or is that a secondary feature of your game? And how much of it do you want when it comes to guiding your game design? Yeah, so what kind of problems do we see? I know we've talked a little bit about it, but with regards to things that simulators can kind of mess up or they struggle with compared to other genres? Um, I know some of the examples I've seen are adding kind of options, especially I've seen a lot of survival games adding hunger and thirst, but then not really doing things with those features. Uh, I know some simulator games have kind of added too much too quickly, and there hasn't really been enough interactions with other systems, or um, they haven't really kind of added anything besides just existing. Um, so is there any particular examples you have where you've encountered something that hasn't really gelled with your experience or hasn't really um, worked well with other features that might be in the game? I think it was interesting what you were saying about, you know, adding hunger or thirst, because in a sense that could also add a big sense of urgency um, to a game that we kind of said belongs to the cozy, uh, the cozy genre of games. So by, by adding those sort of needs and essentially increasing the difficulty of the game, it might leave 
a different taste in players' mouth and it might not be something that people are actually happy with um, because, you know, their relaxing experience is now bogged down by all these secondary objectives and it kind of makes the game feel more objective-based and the player has less autonomy to do what they want to do because they have to do what the game is telling them they have to do, which kind of, you know, defeats the purpose of some sandbox simulation-style games. I mean, I feel like it's just more of a example where they um, somebody adds a feature, but there's not really any um, objectives to the feature other than just fulfilling the requirement on a time basis. Um, more examples could just be like if you have to like defend from an attack at every like ten minutes or something. Um, you know your your colonists run out of food and you have to keep getting food and um, I guess one of the examples would be like in world you have to keep your food supply up, um, but there's a lot of things about like where you source your food from because there's multiple different types. You can either grow plants or you can uh, hunt animals and sometimes. Uh, if it's winter, there's not a lot of animals available. Um, if it's winter, you also can't grow crops outside, so you might want to stockpile food for the uh, for the winter and store it in like a refrigerator. And then when it is winter, you can even like sometimes store food outside because it's so cold that it would just freeze over. But then animals might come in and grab the food, kind of thing. It's just kind of like that. Everything with that system uh, integrates into the existing simulation of the world. Whereas sometimes I guess what I see in uh, other simulation games, whether they're cozy games or kind of like action games, is they might add something that feels like it's almost its own standalone thing and everything exists just to fit with that thing. Um, and perhaps that's one of the things that don't work well in simulation games, where there's just a feature kind of added on at the end. Do you think that's like a roadmap problem where they've come up with the base and they're like, okay, this is our minimum stuff that we need. And then they're like, well, what should we put on now? Because we have extra development time or whatever. And it's not really ever integrated fully into the mechanics that already exist because the, the mechanics that exist weren't built with that in mind. Whereas if you kind of knew what was ahead of you on the roadmap, you would maybe have already thought about design considerations that would affect some stuff that already exists. Maybe that's like a problem with it. To some degree, but I also think that when you're putting stuff in, it should always integrate with what you've got already. Um, to me, it doesn't make sense to put something in and then hope that down the line there's some other stuff that will work with it. Um, because mm. I feel like there's always a lot of potential for some kind of interactions between what you've got already and what you don't. And if there isn't, then it begs into the question, like, what is the point of this feature? Does it fit the actual game we're, we're building? Yeah, I do think, though, like... You know, with serious games where you have to learn something or you're training and stuff, it's really important to be clear on, you know, what you want the player to learn um, and how you're going to make them do that. So that's like a functional thing. You know, like game the simulator works well functionally, therefore it's a good game, but also you, you need to think about, like, the fun and satisfaction element of it. Um so I was listening to a GDC talk by a design director from Arionet called Jason Vandenberg. Um, and he was talking about the psychological series I mentioned earlier, but he was talking about the strong importance of satisfaction when you design different games. And I think you can see that with simulation games is you still need that element of fulfillment. Um, and I think we're still kind of working on improving that 
um, in the sense of understanding like the players will find different way to get fulfillment in simulation games and other games. Um, but I do think simulation games allow more options to explore those compared to other games, you know, because of the limit, limitless opportunities you have or the lack of negative feedback you get. Maybe that's in part part of the problem because with there being such divergent gameplay, but also a lack of urgency or necessity to those mechanics because we're trying to sort of create a relaxing environment, um, with it being optional, you don't have to do those mechanics that have been added on, for example. But that kind of means they're not allowed to integrate them too heavily because you don't want the whole game to sort of revolve around them. So it's basically a game that's kind of too divergent in what it offers experience-wise. So maybe that's part of the reason it doesn't integrate properly because it's all kind of an optional system. Everything is optional. Um, and if it isn't already existing within part of the core game loop, especially if this is something that comes as an update, it just might not be something players necessarily wanted in the first place. Or, and then they didn't have to do it, so they might never learn to do it. And then it's just sort of there, sat on the sidelines, you know? I mean, for me, that's like crafting. I hate crafting and anything. I hate it. So if I can avoid it, I'll never learn to do it. I'll never do it. Yeah, I've seen some good examples of that, especially in the kind of like adventuring um, farming games, because there's a lot of like different systems, um, like fishing or uh, dungeoneering or farming. Um, but there's always kind of like other systems that allow some flexibility for that. So if you're always farming, you can sell the crops and buy like ores and things or buy fish and stuff like that. So you never really force down one route. There's always options to to kind of bypass those systems but yeah it's quite interesting to think of like well where is the middle ground if if someone doesn't want to interact with the system at all um i think that's it's very different seeing something that's compulsory compared to something it's just kind of like you can engage with it if you want but there's still a game out there if you don't yeah i think that's why you know, taking on the challenge of designing a simulation game is a big one, and I think it's much bigger than you would assume compared to a different type of thing because you've got to consider all these questions in ways that you wouldn't for other games. Yeah, and I think perhaps uh, that's why modding is so successful because it allows the players to sort of make the experience that they're after. And in a sense, the players are more important than you as a developer are because you're not really playing it, and it can be hard to know what they want um great so just to close off uh what kind of simulators do you either enjoy at the moment or what would you kind of like to see in the future um so like i said i loved the sims i lived on the sims as a teenager interestingly now it's not something that i enjoy as much and i kind of wonder if it's because you know you don't have to make up an imaginary life anymore. When you're an adult, you get enough agency to just make your own life. So <laughs> I wonder if that's why I don't find as much enjoyment in it anymore. Uh, but yeah, that was something that I used to really love. In terms of like what I would like to see, um, I'm not sure if it already exists, but I'd kind of like to see like a heaven and hell simulator. I know me and Glenn worked on a concept that was kind of similar to that, where you had to sentence people to their... Um, afterlife basically and you could say mm, well you didn't do that much bad you can go to heaven and then it's like you you were terrible you're going to hell and then you have to manage like 
punishing and rewarding the people when you take them to their respective afterlives. But um, I really like the concept of Dungeon Keeper as well. So I feel like it kind of fits in with that sort of game. And I'm yet to see it done. To, to be, I'm yet to see it be done again in a successful way. So yeah, that's the sort of thing that I'd really like to see. I remember actually for a game jam game, we didn't make that type of heaven and hell game. Um, but we had quotas of number of people you could send to heaven. But you couldn't look at the list of everyone beforehand, so you had to judge based on that person in the moment, knowing you only have like one or two spots left. It was not fun um, just to play because you're like, I feel like such a bad person <laughs> for making those choices. Um, but for simulation games, something I really, really enjoy about them is the opportunity to have like really diverse experiences and diverse characters you can meet. Um, so it opens opportunity for different types of interaction that you wouldn't have had um, in other games which are more linear and you meet one type of NPC who has a certain goal and things like that. Um, on a less serious note, I actually want to play more dating sims just because they seem really funny and interesting. Um, when I went to EGX, I think a year or two ago, there was the game called Perfect Date, which is being published by Bossa, which is, is it a cat dating game, isn't it, or something? Um, mm, yeah. And then there's Boyfriend Dungeon, which re recently got funded on Kickstarter, where it's like you date different weapons. Um, and then there's Hashable Boyfriend, where you date pigeons. Um <laughs> which you wouldn't probably do in real life, but, you know, that type of thing where you can explore completely outlandish, out-there ideas uh, in, in a simulated environment makes it a bit more unique and a bit different to the normal gameplay experience that we have with, like, you know, big adventure RPG-style games. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm very similar. I like uh, weird scenarios. I played a game recently where you were a frog detective and you had to uh, investigate this mystery on an island. So, yeah, just, I think, more management games and more kind of theoretical jobs would be very cool. Um, even, like, ghost simulators, but I, I think there's a lot of room in horror to have simulator games that aren't really to do with the actual scares. They're more like, hey, you have all these monsters and there's some kind of, like, job involving them. Um, I, I do actually remember seeing one that was, like, you were... Uh, in charge of kind of like an SCP facility style game. So there was all these monsters and you had to like keep them happy, but there's all these weird rules about like, you know, if, if people go in to feed them, there has to be at least like two people in the room, otherwise they freak out. And there's all these kind of like weird horror monsters that had all these things. And sometimes you didn't know all of the rules about them. So you had to kind of like uh, figure them out and try not to get as many of your people in the facility killed. <laughs> whilst you were doing it. So yeah, just weird, strange games. Yeah, I think speaking of horror games, I heard of, was it the mobile game called Game Dev, game Dev Tycoon? So you play as a game developer starting up your own studio in the 80s, and then you work on from there. Um, I haven't played it, but I think that would be an incredibly stressful <laughs> experience to... I've played it. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I find it gets old quick, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, I can't Maybe think because... it's very mm. repetitive. I think it's there's a lot of mileage in what you were saying. Is it Viscera Cleanup Detail? Is that what the game's called? Yeah. yeah. That's like a mundane job set in a crazy, interesting fantasy setting. I think that's like a really good sort of mix because it's kind of comical mm. how normalised 
such yeah. like freakishly weird actions are, which yeah, I think is a really good recipe. Yeah, that makes me think about like the future of simulation games. I feel like there's so much we're going to be able to explore and do, especially when we have different mediums through which we can play games, you know, whether that be like the different types of realities or whatever, or if it's console versus mobile and the different jobs you can experience if you're going for the job mode and just, just the different types of people playing your game, it can open up, you know, different demographics you can make your game for. I think that's all for today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This is our last podcast episode for the year and we'd very much appreciate it if you could leave us a rating on uh, the podcasting platform but besides that have a great christmas and we will see you all again next year thank you